You're listening to CVCAA Unplugged, from action to impact. Today we're talking with Chrysanthemum Crenshaw and AmeriCorps Vista, who's working with CVCAA on our homeless programming. Stay tuned. Hey, y'all, this is Mike with Contra Valley Community Action Agency's CVCAA Unplugged from Action to Impact. Today, we are talking with Chrysanthemum Crenshaw. She is an AmeriCorps VISTA who is assigned to us here at the agency. So, Chrysanthemum, how's it, how's it going? Yeah, hi. Thank you for talking to me. I was very excited when we were floating the idea of the podcast about, around the agency, and you were like, I would like to be on it and talk about things. And I think that's very cool. You're the, you're the first person who self volunteered to <laughs> sit in the hot seat there, even though it's, it's, you know, it's not really a hot seat, but uh, so you're an AmeriCorps Vista. So for our listeners, a lot of them aren't going to know what AmeriCorps is or Vista. So kind of, kind of hit us up with what that means. Sure. So AmeriCorps is a national service program. Um, I like to describe it as the domestic counterpart to the Peace Corps because that's mm. what it is. Cool. Most people are familiar with what the Peace Corps does. So instead of sending volunteers off to other countries to help out there, we are focusing on cities in America who really need some love and attention. Um, and so VISTA stands for Volunteer in Service to America. And so that is what I am. That's cool. And one of the neat things about AmeriCorps uh, that I did, I wasn't aware of until just a few months ago, is that in President Johnson's uh, Economic Opportunity Act of 1964 that, that created things like Head Start, Legal Aid, uh, Community, Community Action, Action, which we yeah. are, it also created yes. AmeriCorps. So, cool. it, so that is like a natural partnership mm-hmm. for you to come over here. And so we, uh, as an agency, went through a process to apply to have the position. And then you have to apply... Mm-hmm. to get the position and then from there it's kind of like a like a normal application interview we talked about you know is this is what we're offering is this the right fit for you and you chose that for us to come join us that's very cool yeah um and this so this is my third service term mm-hmm. but it's my first vista term so americorps has NCCC, which i don't remember what that stands for but it also has AmeriCorps state and national. Okay. So this is my first time with a year long assignment. My previous ones were only for a few months at a time. Um, and in those I was working more direct services, mm-hmm. environmental restoration and conservation, um, you know, running a chainsaw in yeah. the woods with a bunch of weirdos. Yeah. So it was very, very different than this. And so this is really exciting for me because I have about six months left. So I'm already right to the point where I've, I've been working the longest on a project that I have. So it's really exciting. So your other ones, you were, you were in the field, out in nature. And I, from, from knowing you personally, I know those are things that really connect with you. So, and you had a, po- a picture on social media this weekend of you with the chainsaw and the, <laughs> the goggles and stuff, which is just very, yeah. very cool. Where, what part of the country were those, yeah. were those in? Um, so the first one, it was along the Gulf of Mexico. And um, we did a lot of work. Um, after Hurricane Harvey, a lot of places were damaged or the local ecosystems were just kind of muffed up. And so we went in and we helped plant um, some native vegetation. And then we also removed some invasive species. Oh, wow. um, and so that was the bulk of my work there. 
that that is when I fell in love with service because I had volunteered at shelters and, and things, mm-hmm. but I had never just really dedicated. I mean, and for a pretty modest living stipend, like, um, but you know, it's, it's a sacrifice, but I had never made that real commitment. Right. And I just fell in love. And I also fell in love with my fiance there because that's oh, where we met. We met um, chainsaw training. And, <laughs> you know, and then after that, you know, that experience led me to Alaska to work in utility forestry up there with him. And it was just, it was like a, a domino effect. And then he got into wildland firefighting and I got into another AmeriCorps service term. And so we have both just been obsessed with the outdoors and with giving back. And it's just a, a big part of our family. That's and so very neat. It was just natural for me to come back to San Angelo, where I did spend some of my younger years, and to try to find a way to fit in service here. That's cool. Where, when, what time of year were you in Alaska? We were there for about six months. We were there for pretty much everything but winter. So everything but winter, yeah. Everyone is like, weren't you freezing? I'm like, no, uh-huh. actually, it was beautiful. Um, the only bad thing was the mosquitoes. Yes, those mosquitoes, they're, they're like the size <laughs> they're of quarters. They're ginormous, huge. they're Jurassic. Yeah, um, <laughs> Jurassic mosquitoes. <laughs> but, the, you know, the sun didn't go down. It was, yep. it was amazing. Yeah, I, I spent a summer in, a, in Fairbanks um, in the 90s uh, working at a, at a theater camp at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And so it was, cool. it's such a neat part of our country. So cool. And, you know, you're right, the sun doesn't go down. Um, and it, you know, the at it's weird because the temperatures that that summer got up into the nineties yeah. I and mean, it wasn't cold at, at night. Well, at night, it didn't mm-hmm. get dark. Um, you know, it would dip to down to the seventies or eighties, but yes, I remember we spent one, we took a day trip up to the Arctic circle and canoed oh, yeah. and, um, the, and the, the stream we were canoeing was fed by glacier waters melt yeah. off. So it was super cold yeah. and I flipped our canoe. <laughs> probably five minutes into the trip and there goes all of our food for the day all the bugs spray is gone uh, washed off and so it was it was a constant those, those mosquitoes are massive so it was such a neat you know being in oh yeah pristine land that is you know it's not wild. a lot of people see literally wild like yes. we, where we were working um we were restoring power lines and they're well clearing uh, right-of-ways for power lines mm-hmm. And I mean, these, this was remote areas. Our whole um, uh, motto as a crew was we go where machines can't or nice. where vehicles yep. can't. So yep. we literally would hike in for hours to these spots where nobody had been literally since the 80s. And it was just, we'd see bears. It was just, yeah, it was bananas. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, we can't uh, wait to go back. Yeah. So. Yeah. Alaska, I, again, not there in winter. Uh, some of the students that I was talking with uh, in the camp, they were saying that. You know, at a University of Alaska Fairbanks, all the buildings are connected by tunnels. Mm. And so they would, you know, literally, you know, from their house to be out, you know, be in, the, in their vehicle going to school and then being indoors the whole day. And, and in the, the depth of winter, you know, the sun never really gets yeah. very high. So they didn't see a lot of sunlight. And I, I don't know how I would react to that. I, yeah. like, I like light. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have to experience that. But, you know, just the people who I encountered that lived up there, they were like, yeah, it's just it's, it's, a, it's a time of year where you, you, you change your cycle yeah. of how you do things and you sleep a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some of the some of the folks I ran into, the, the locals living in Fairbanks, they still had outhouses. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, how does this work it's, in the winter? <laughs> it's bananas. But, you know, thinking about like what we're talking about now, 
the homeless crisis up there yep. is very bad as well because yep. it's like they have to deal with not only their regular lack of resources and everything, but they are very remote and their weather and their seasons is so drastic. Mm -hmm. So that that's another thing. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. So, so for us to have you here as a Vista, we had to create uh, the VAD, the, the also I forget what that, the Vista assignment, the Vista description. assignment description. description yes. Right. And so we looked at it and when we were talking with the, person in charge of the vistas here in the Concho Valley, Tracy Simmons over at the council of governments. Love Tracy. Yep. She's super awesome. Um, we were looking at what are things that we needed done and a person to do it that, and the neat thing about the vista is that it can't, it shouldn't and can't be tied into direct services. So your other yeah. AmeriCorps positions were direct services. This one is really not, supposed to do direct services yeah um so that you get to focus you get to spend 12 months focusing on the vad and for us we looked at it as we know there's a homeless crisis here in san angelo mm -hmm. um, we have some resources over the last couple of years through the pandemic and staff that we've hired to try to band-aid those but it's all been reactionary yeah and your position is to try to write the prescription the game plan what's the best practices of dealing yep with homelessness here in San Angelo in the Concho Valley. And so you, you spend the whole year researching, interviewing, talking with, with people yeah. <laughs> and, and what are other cities doing about their homeless and trying to figure out what the game plan is for us. Absolutely. Um, so I like how you've described it before. Um, just finding the gaps and yep. finding the ways to fill them. So what I'm doing is, you know, assessing what the actual problem is, how many um, individuals and families experiencing homelessness we have in the Concho Valley, but also how did they become homeless or how do we think they became homeless? Um, and then what are the needs that they, they are really struggling to find and how can we find the corresponding best practices to help fill those needs? Yeah. Yeah. The best practices part is just one of the pieces that, you know, as you keep finding things and sending it, you know, to the team to look at, you know, there's there's a lot of first of all homelessness is a nationwide a worldwide problem yeah and there are a lot of agencies that are doing things very well and we should we don't have to necessarily reinvent the wheel no through the research that you're and we doing shouldn't. Yes. that would be a lot of work <laughs> it would be a lot of work and a lot more and a lot and way more costly yeah and so you're you're finding options and then you're looking at okay here's this is how they might do it, say in New York city or something. Yeah. And there are pieces that we can pull from this and then pieces that we can pull from another one, kind of put it all together. And, and you're, you're looking at, um, from the point someone becomes homeless to the point that we try to, that we get them stably housed, that there's that timeline there. Yeah. And actually one step further than that, for me, I would really like to focus on homeless prevention as well yep. and just include that, um, the bulk of it will be, you know, how do we, how do we act immediately when someone faces this crisis, but also how do we not let that happen? Yeah. Yeah. How the, how do we I get think, here? I think our listeners, when, you know, the common thread that you're going to hear in a lot of these podcast episodes is that all of our agencies are doing very well at reacting to the situation, but how do we prevent it? What's that prescription? And that's why I was very attracted to the Vista position is here's someone who's, you know, your, your position, you are tied into the 
figuring it out without the minutia of the daily of mm-hmm. I've got to go answer the phones for a number of times, or I've got to go do this, or I've got to do that. Your job solely is, yeah, is this bad? <laughs> is this game plan, which is it is my everything for the yeah. next six more months. Six so. more months. Yeah, you've been doing it for six months. Mm-hmm. What What was some of the like? What do you think so far? What has been the 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 biggest challenge and then what's been like the coolest thing that you you're like that you're like oh yeah this is cool this is coming out of this Hmm. the biggest challenge um has just been and i'm kind of getting through this challenge but it's been the um the overwhelmingness of data and and figuring out which data you know where everything is data i'm learning so when i say data i just mean everything um but figuring out where in my research, the research should go, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, the first like few weeks, it was just so much information and meeting so many people I didn't even know existed. Um, and I really wish I did years ago, yeah. but it's just been crazy. Um, but that's, it has been awesome. It's taught me a lot about how to like organize research and how to prioritize research and mm-hmm. things like that. And then for um, the coolest thing has has been the opportunities that I have had to do direct service because it's not a regular part of my job, but I am able in my research to do some help at Homeless Navigation Day um, and outreach. And that's been very, very gratifying. So just seeing the immediate like impact that we're having has been just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I felt bad about, about, well, it was, it was definitely your first day or two that you were here. I walked, I remember walking to your office with giant binders and just kind of like dropping them on the desk. And I like, recently revisited those <laughs> and actually understood them. But yeah, the first time I'm like, I felt like I was reading like Sanskrit or yes. like, or yeah. is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, it is. And there's a lot of code in there yeah. with acronyms and whatnot. So. And the, yeah, the, the, the work you're doing at Navigation Day. So you're, you know, providing some services there, but you're getting to talk with, our neighbors, our homeless yes. neighbors, you're part of the the group that we bring in for, uh, there's a small group that we bring in that you all bring in and talk with on a regular basis to kind of, the thought here is it's this idea of nothing for us without us. Right. And I think the work that you're doing, talking with them to find out what it is they actually need versus what we think they need yeah. from our, you know, from our, um, how, how are those conversations like how do you how do you get into the mindset to have those kind of conversations with folks whether it's like at navigation day or on the advocacy group or well i think um it's just something that i'm kind of naturally inclined to be able to do just having some lived experience and um you know a lot of the people that i'm interacting with i've kind of been maybe not necessarily where they've been but i've been like in that arena and I've known what it's like to like be in a place that's kind of overwhelming with a bunch of people swarming around you and you don't know anybody and it's your first time here and there's so many resources and everyone's saying go find what you need go find what you need but you don't know what that means you don't even know what these people do so just like kind of walking up to a person and being like hey what's your name how you doing and then kind of just relaxing people and making them feel comfortable does come natural to me because it was those people who really helped me when I I was overwhelmed. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, it is. If 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 you've never been to a navigation day, imagine a a a, a basketball gym, which is where we're at now at First Print. <laughs> Fifteen to twenty service providers, thirty, forty, fifty 
uh, neighbors at a time, and depending on what time of day it is. And just there's the, the noise overload that could happen by people sure. talking. And then but you're right, people coming in, hey, I'm homeless. I would like to not be homeless, but I don't even know where mm-hmm. to start. What's that first step? Yeah. And so I was actually thinking about that because like, you know, people will come in and they'll say, they'll mark on the sheet, not homeless, but then they'll say, I need housing. And so I, mm. I realized, you know, I didn't know I was homeless when I was, I didn't know, I didn't know any of these terms. I didn't know housing instability or homeless prevention or affordable housing or domestic violence. I didn't know. I just knew that like I needed help and that I, my life was not going great, but I did not know that there were like dedicated teams out here focusing on these specific issues that had names. And so I think kind of spreading that awareness is going to help a lot of people get yeah. the help that they need. Yeah. Just like using those terms and educating the public. Yeah. And that you're, you're right. There's when you're in that crisis, you know that there's something that needs to be done, but you don't know what it is mm-hmm. and you're not using necessarily the terms that, or the identifiers that that maybe the social service agencies are using. One one of the things that was very eye opening to me when I came into this work was the different definitions of mm. homelessness. You know, there's um, and depending on which grant we're operating, we have different definitions that we have to to live by and work with. You know, there's literally homeless. You know, they are living. Yeah. In, in a place not meant for human habitation. Yeah. And, and that includes people long-term living in tents because tents are not, not meant. Meant, meant for long-term or sure. you know, living in their cars, living in a garage, uh, living in a, under a bridge or something. Um, there's the, the folks that would qualify for homeless prevention, which are at risk of becoming homeless. They're um, behind on rent and they more than just a notice to vacate or a three-day notice of late payment, but it's there's an eviction proceeding. Uh, the landlord has gone to the judge, filed an eviction, and a, there's a court hearing that's coming up. And then depending on the outcome of that court hearing, um, you have X number of days to vacate. And then the constables show up and throw all your, if you're not out, they throw it all out. Yeah, and just the other day, I think it was um, Wednesday, um, I'd gone by our church to, to pick something up and the constables were using the parking lot as a kind of a place to gather before they went and did an eviction. And I was just stood there and looked at it and I was like, man, you know, this is intimidating. I, I was intimidated yeah. and I'm, I'm 150 feet away from these gentlemen. Yeah. And you're not even involved and I'm in, not involved. Yeah. And then, you know, they roll up and then they take all your stuff and literally, yeah. you know, if you're not out by the time that notice to vacate gets served, you are, will be out they will they will make sure of that yeah um and then the other piece that i thought was interesting that i didn't understand was school district uses a different definition for homelessness right. so they're counting um couch surfing they're counting overcrowding in a like maybe it's a, a a two-bedroom house and there's like seven or eight people living in there so they yeah. count that as a form of homelessness as well and i think that's what um i think that definition is one that a lot of our community probably don't understand that they that is a form of homelessness and the people experiencing it certainly don't either yeah yeah. um yeah and a lot of people you know if you're in a situation where for example you are in a domestic violence situation while in a housing instability or um 
the homelessness you were just describing situation, but you, for example, aren't allowed to leave the house. Maybe your abuser is the one who does all the shopping or doesn't trust you to leave the house. How are you going to even see flyers for these events or even like see the verbiage or hear, Mm -hmm. you know? So I, for me, one of the most important things we can do, I mean, of course we need to market, we need to put out our flyers and put out all the information on the internet. Some people don't have access to these things. So I think the the most important thing we can do is just talk about it um, to everybody. Yes. <laughs> like I'm always talking about it, probably annoying my friends and family, but like I am talking about it, talking about it, talking about it because you never, never know. Um, yeah. Who's going to overhear yeah. who you're having the yeah. conversation with. Right. And domestic violence is that fourth, is that fourth category of homeless, you know, fleeing domestic violence. And when we were, we were talking with a, um, homeless community in Austin, the Esperanza community, mm-hmm. they, they do single um, little tiny homes for homeless individuals. We were talking with them and they said, these are all single person units. If you're in a relationship, they're still single person units. You're, you, we may put you next to the person you're in a relationship, mm-hmm. two units, but we're not going to put two people together. And I was like, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Why? And they said, because should they or, be a domestic violence situation. They don't want someone having to choose shelter and staying in a domestic violence situation versus being safe from the, from the, the, the attacker yeah. and in their own unit. That just something I never would have thought of. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people, and I, again, our community, you know, when, when folks in our community, you know, don't experience this, don't have, you know, don't think about it. They, those are hard choices. Hey, do I, I have an opportunity to leave the situation that I'm in, this very terrible situation I'm in, but it's going to mean being homeless. Is this the opportunity I want to take? Or, hey, it's going to be, you know, 20 degrees and sleeting. Yep. Am I staying in this dangerous situation with, and sometimes kids are involved yeah, in that. That's the harrowing truth, honestly, yep. is that leaving is not always, or doesn't always feel like the safest option. And yep. so that is why it's so important to meet people where they are yep. and to not have requirements that you're going to do this our way. You're going to get out our way as soon as we meet you or we're not going to help you. Just saying we're here for you when yep. you're ready. Yeah, um, removing those barriers. Removing the barriers. Yep. yep. And yep. letting people know because one of our promises of community action is to embody the spirit of hope. And yep. I think there's nothing um, better than doing that. And the easiest way to do that is to just, be here, keep our light on for people when they're ready to mm. seek services. Yeah. You know, the, when we talk about low income individuals, we talk about homeless individuals. If, you know, I've heard from people in the community, you know, they just, they just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They just need to, you know, why can't they just get a job? And, and you think about, you know, folks talking about domestic violence victims. Well, why don't they just leave? There's so many more challenges than just, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to get go get a job. There's so many obstacles Mm -hmm. that our society has stacked up you know that we've created these barriers these artificial barriers and it's just people think you know sorry um, people think you know why don't you just call 911 and i'll tell you i did call 911 when i was in that situation i called them twice and neither time did it end well for me and you know i know people i am not alone in that experience um especially especially when you're like in a rural county um when you're kind of in the middle of nowhere and 911 is your only option. You know, the small town I was in, we didn't have a shelter or anything like that. 
didn't have a car. How was I supposed to leave? So 911 truly was it. And so people say, just call somebody. Not everybody has somebody to call. Right. Not yeah. everybody has a family to stay with. I mean, truly, some people really do get stuck in those situations. Yeah, yeah when the, a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago, when the, the national um, phone thing on your, test thing on your yeah. phone was going to happen yeah, yeah. at like three o'clock or whatever. And then I started seeing on social media, hey, yep. for, for folks in domestic violence situations, they sometimes have a secret phone. Mm-hmm. And it's, hey, a reminder, make sure you turn that phone off so that it doesn't randomly go off and alert. You know, that there is this other communication yeah, it's, device. It's just things that I would never yeah. dream that people have to go through and they're going through it regularly. And it's not it's not even a, a every now and then thing. It's a regular occurrence in our society mm-hmm. that people are dealing with these kind of challenges, these kind of choices, these kind of lack of resources, these hurdles they've got to overcome. And, and that's why I'm really excited about the VAD. Yes. Because it's <laughs> it's we're trying to figure out the plan for that. Yeah. That is the best plan that we can do in our part of Texas, in our part of, you know, partially rural, partially um, urban. Primarily urban is where we're seeing yeah. almost. But you're right. There are people in rural counties that are dealing with it as well. Yep. So I know the, you know, from, from getting to know you over the past six months or so, I know there's a personal connection. You talked a little bit about it just now. Um, but the, I think there's a personal connection that's driving you to, to, to complete this VAD, but also just to just one of the driving forces behind who you are. Yeah. Um, um, so I grew up with nine siblings. Nine. Um, yes. And we didn't always live together at the same time. We, most of us had different guardians at different times. Um, there wasn't really stability in the house. And it's, it's kind of funny because all of us have different memories from our childhood. Like none of us experienced the same childhood, which is funny. Um, we laugh about that, even though it's not super funny, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it was just very unstable and just, um, a lot of moving around a lot of untreated mental illness from our guardians and then being removed from the home and, you know, the effects of that kind of led to years later, um, you know, my sister and I, she was a year older than me and we were teenagers and we would, we would run away a lot as, as youth do, um, when maybe you're not in the best situation at home. And, you know, we would, we would just kind of leave because we just didn't feel safe. We didn't feel like we had a clean environment. Um, and we were just kind of tired of it. And then, you know, when she was 17 and I was 16, she, she did run away for the first time without me and she didn't come home. And, you know, she was gone for over a month and her missing child posters were, were all over the state. And it was, you know, everyone thought I knew where she was this time, but it was the first time I did not. And then it turns out that she had involved herself in the world of of violence and substance abuse. And eventually she did overdose, um, just at 17 years old. And, you know, my mom didn't even know where she was. And so that, that really was my first experience with something like that. Um, and just, but I thought maybe that was just this rare, traumatic, horrible thing 
but then, you know, a little over a year ago now, my, my other big sister, she was in a similar situation. Um, but Brandy, my other big sister who I'm referring to now, she was actually unsheltered homeless for, um, for a number of years and just kind of traveling all over the U S with her abuser. Actually, Uh, my sister was the victim of domestic violence as a child. And then was in, uh, you know, in an intimate partner violence situation with her abuser. Um, but again, she didn't feel safe enough to leave mm-hmm. his side. She would, she would call me from random phones. I never knew. She never had a phone, but it was just, you know, I borrowed a phone from this guy at the gas station. And, you know, I'd always answer because back then it was like, I didn't know if she was alive, right. where she was. She would call me and she'd say, you know, he beat me. I'm leaving him. I'm done this time. And I would say, okay, you know, get to the nearest bus stop, get, get somewhere. I'll find a way to send you money because she's homeless. She doesn't have, she doesn't have a debit card. She doesn't have a phone. She doesn't have any of, you know, I had to get creative with how I sent her money. Sometimes I'd have to send it to other people to give to her. Um, but it was, it would always, I would stop hearing from her after that. And I would think, Oh no, did he find her? Did someone else pick her up? Is she safe? Um, and then sometimes days or weeks later, I would hear from her again and she'd say, I decided to stay with him because I need him to survive out here. I can't make it all the way to you by myself. Um, and she would just convince herself to stay. And yeah. it was, it was just a cycle. Yeah. And then, and on your end, you're, you're in this state of limbo of not knowing, you know, yeah. did, did this help? Did this make it worse? Did this, she able yes. to get away? And people ask, they're, they're surprised when I say, well, my sister was homeless because you know, your brain goes, well, why didn't you take her in? Yeah. Well, couldn't. and I couldn't. Yeah. And until, until you've experienced someone living with chronic homelessness and substance abuse addiction, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can't describe it. But the, what I learned from that experience is that we were all at capacity. Um, and the, those of us who weren't, who wanted to help, didn't have the means to get her to us. Yeah. We couldn't go drive out and find her and roam all across America and try to find her and get her to us. So what, what ended up saving her life as long as it did was the random churches, the random organizations that would help her along her travels. Um, but it takes more than family. People mm-hmm. think, use your support system. If you don't have a support system or if the support system that you have is at capacity, who is stepping in to fill right. those gaps? That is how she fell through the, the gaps, in my opinion, um, of the system, because everyone thought, well, she has a big family. They can do it. Right, she has nine, nine yeah, siblings that she think, can. Well, one of us can help. But you know what? A lot of us were still in poverty ourselves. Yeah. A lot of us didn't have, you know, have children. We, we just can't. So You're right. If she didn't, and her not having a way to connect with her consistently. And yes. that's, that's one of the challenges I think our agency runs into with some of our homeless neighbors is. They'll have a phone for a period of time and then it'll get stolen. It'll get lost. It'll get damaged or, you know, they don't have the access to the funds for a phone plan. And so, you know, us trying to connect with them is, is challenging. And, and, and that's here in, in town. Yeah. Now you're talking about with your sister nationwide, no, no idea how to connect to. And and again, you're right. People are, well, why, why don't, why don't they just go stay with their family? Why don't they just, why don't they just, why don't they just, and it's like, until you're in that situation, 
can't really just say, why don't they just, because you don't know what else is going on. That's, that's a super big challenge. You know, the folks that we're trying to help, it's, it's not just a single issue they're trying to overcome. Nope. Many things. And how we respond to that, what's our game plan for that, um, that's hard. And, you know, one of the things I talk with our staff a lot about is, you know, some of our folks there, they, we've, we've assisted them with housing three or four times. And frustrating as it is that they, they continually get evicted or become homeless and come back for our help again, we exist to help them. Yeah. We need to get beyond our personal frustrations and connect with them where they're at and, and not just do the same thing we did last time. Maybe, maybe it's what lessons did we learn from last time that we need to change the tact yes. and try to get them in a situation where they're, they're, they're going to be able to su- succeed. Yes. Stay. And I just want to say, um, my sister did end up leaving her abuser. So she did want to change her life. She was, you know, she was ready to change her life. She just needed somebody to help her. Took some time. Yes. I mean, she, she left and she did pass away of an overdose, but you know, on, on someone's couch, but she was ready. So, I mean, there are people out there who just, they're ready to come home and they're ready to, to take the next step, but they can only do so much. So. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I know that's, you know. That's the thing I think, you know, as people listen to this, we don't know what the reach of this podcast is going to be. And, but, you know, I think, you know, people hearing those kind of stories last week, we interviewed uh, Antonio Cabrera, who was, you know, one of the folks we housed who came out of incarceration and he talked about the challenges he faced And there. There's, there's a lot of similarity to what you're talking about, you know, just that lack of resources, how to move around. But then the biggest part I think that goes unaddressed a lot is the stigma of being homeless, this idea from our community that people are homeless are, are less than us. They're beneath us. I think there are some folks in our society that think that, and that's, you know, when you think about, I mean, they're still a person and, you know, irregardless of what your faith background is or how that person came into being, they are still a person that deserves the opportunity Mm -hmm. to live in shelter with resources yeah you know and some people it's going to take a lot of of social service agencies helping but it doesn't matter they still deserve that help absolutely and i mean i'm glad you brought that up because it's something that i've struggled with um but i have since starting at the contra valley community action agency i have started having more of an open mind i always had a heart for it you know because i grew up in it and then my sisters of course but for her abuser to me, I don't empathize with the fact that he hurt my sister, of course, but maybe he had mental issues that needed to be addressed as well. Maybe having shelter would have prevented some of that. Maybe having access to resources himself mm-hmm. and, you know, to keep those around him safe too. So, so I think everybody, everybody is affected. It touches everybody. Um, and if you haven't been affected by it, I'm sure, you know, somebody who has, so just keeping that open mind and, yeah. and just being there. Yeah. So this week that this is airing, this is, um, uh, recording this obviously on a different week, but the week that this is airing is the middle of 
Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week. Our yes. agency is teaming up with other agencies across the region uh, and across the country to, to try to bring awareness to that. Um, we're having a, we had a visual, visual, this is so weird talking about it as, <laughs> It hasn't happened yet, but we're talking about it in the past tense, but we're having a... Like Doctor Who. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, we're having or had, depending on how you want to think about it, a homeless vigil where we're um, trying to bring to light some of the stories of, of folks. And I know you're planning to speak at that and that, you know, and you shared what you're going to share at that. And it's just, it's very powerful, um, very eye-opening. And I hope that people are there, hear that. And then we're having a symposium roundtable conversation mm -hmm. with people in the community, people at different agencies, fundraising people, just people in general, just say this, this is the challenge that we are facing here in our neck of the woods, 200 plus people homeless that we know about. That we know about. Yeah. That, that's the thing that we know about. Right. And, and, and we don't know about the ones who are in those domestic violence situations. We don't know. School district says they think there's about 150, 170 kids that meet their criteria of homeless, mm -hmm. the couch surfing. Maybe they're the runaways that are sleeping on a yeah. friend's couch or something. So that's and that just know, three, make three a pit to, in your stomach. It does three to four hundred people. And um, when you look at that as a as a slice, I mean, it's a neighborhood. I mean, you can drive down any neighborhood in San Angelo and find a neighborhood of four hundred people and say, "What if all these people all of a sudden?" Where these houses didn't exist. That that's what we're dealing with. Yeah, it's a massive humanitarian issue that we're trying to figure out. And I know, like if you watch the news right now, uh, you know everyone is their their hearts are bleeding for what's going on in the Middle East, yes. which is a huge travesty. Yeah, and a and a disgusting thing to watch at how you know refugees are being dealt with there. Here in our backyard, four hundred plus people are not able to live safely in a in, in a in an environment that is conducive to becoming self-sufficient or just even existing mm -hmm. and that's that's very very hard to wrap around it is it's unacceptable yep it is and i think we in a nation full of resources that we have i think we have to do better we've got to do better i remember when you um accepted me or hired me as the vista um um you had said that you love America and that's why you want it to be great. And you want to, you want to help America um, and make it a better place to live. Yeah. And that was great because it's, it's a refreshing perspective. Like we actually love the country that we're trying to help. Right. Um, and we believe that we can do it. Right. I mean, as a, as an AmeriCorps, mm -hmm. you love what America can be. Yes. The potential. And so you're, you've chosen different avenues to give back, to live in, you know, with, with less income because mm -hmm. you know that down the road, it's going to make a bigger impact Absolutely. on somebody. And that's, that's, that's just a tremendous thing that I, I, I am very, very honored to know you and have you as part of my staff because you're Thanks. choosing to do that. Um, and, and, and what, what, what's very cool also with, with you is that it's not just the people that you're, that you're trying to make a better path for. You have a heart for animals. Yeah. Um, and, and you love animals yeah. and I had, it's so funny cause I, I get random <laughs> things, you know, here, Mike, here's some random pieces of swag from different agencies. I had a calendar that was animals on it mm -hmm. and, and I was like, 
I don't want this. And you're like, I'll take it 100%. And that's what you're tracking your, your VAD on yeah. now, which I just, I love that. I love that. But yeah. So animals, what, what is, what is it about animals and, and your passion for them and, yeah. and kind of what are you doing with them and, and homeless animals, yep. animals belonging to homeless individuals? Yes. I'm super jazzed to talk about this. Um, so another passion of mine is animal welfare and behavior. Um, and that's something that I've known for a long time. Um, growing up, we often had animals that we couldn't afford to properly take care of, mm-hmm. often too many. Um, a, because how can you afford to spay and neuter your animals when right. you don't, you don't have a car, you don't have resources like we talked about. B, because when you see a stray and you know what it's like to feel like a stray, you're going to take it in because um, hurt knows hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then C, um, we weren't educated on, you know, how to properly care for our 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 furry friends um, and didn't have access to those educational materials. And, but then also we just, we just loved them. I mean, in the depths of like the darkest times of my life, even when I was suicidal as a kid, you know, and I spent time in a psych ward and I, and it was just, it was very prevalent. My mental health was rocky animals. I mean, my dogs were always, always, always the things that just pulled me out. And it's still that way. Um, companionship and friendship yes and i think i truly believe that every person deserves companionship of an animal if that's what they want because it it has saved my life and i know that it saves our neighbors experiencing homelessness too probably even more um, than i know and they're more than pets they're family Mm. um but yeah so that that did show me though you know that how i don't want to operate with animals and then also what can be improved in our society when it comes to caring for them. So that's how I got involved in um, studying canine behavior and welfare. Um, I worked in Idaho at the shelters and rescues and training facilities up there. I worked in Alaska at the shelter up there. Um, And then in New Jersey, I worked at the grooming facility. And then even back here in Texas, I did some rescue and shelter work here. And so you know, I am, I'm addicted. I'm obsessed. I can't get enough. So cool. Yes. So I come back here to help out and I see that the stray problem is out of control. Mm -hmm. And then I start to get to know our homeless population. And I see that there are more than 20 homeless pets who have owners, but their owners are experiencing homelessness. And that's just at at the largest encampment here in town. There are so many more that we don't even know about. And it's wild. And we know that something needs to be done about all our animals living on the streets in general. And one of the things for me that like has been so has just ignited this, like, let's go like this, this passion for action in me about this cause is that having spent so many years working with animal rescue workers in any capacity, I was a foster care coordinator at the Idaho Humane Society. And I saw people rescue neonatal kittens from shoe boxes. I mean, I saw some amazing people will go to extraordinary lengths for animals. Now, having seen homeless services and social services, people will go to extraordinary lengths for people. Why have we not bridged this gap yet? Especially here in San Angelo. We can join forces and we can literally be so powerful. I'm telling y'all, like, I don't even think y'all understand. We can be so powerful if we just, if we join forces and and advocate. Absolutely. When, Advocate. When we started talking with city council at the council meetings about homeless situation, there was 
every week there were two or three people that would go and do public comment about the the animal shelter, you know, the the pet population. Yeah. And and then you're right. It was it was like they're they're they have the same passion that we do for homeless people. We work we talk, and some of those folks we talked with them after a couple of of council meetings and they ended up volunteering like with the pit count that we do for yes. the point in time count and because there's that that it's that same you know neuron passion that they're connected and now it's not just animals it's people yes. it's not just people it's animals and there's it's a, infectious yeah. like yep. talking about it you get people so excited like my fiance now he wants to come help at the warming center and like he yeah. is so into navigation day now and it's it's like the more you talk about it the more people get into yep. it you know, when he sees a stray animal, he calls me. And now I know so many people who call me that, Christy, what do I do? Sometimes I have no idea what to do, but they'll call me anyway. And I'm like, keep calling me because let's keep talking about it. Let's do this. I think one of the, one of the, the, the coolest things of pieces of action that you, you were able to do and you're, you, again, you've only been here six months, um, but you connected the, the homeless pet population at the, at Tent City to Contra Valley Paws. And they were able to come in and, First of all, there was the trust that you and your team had with the neighbors to allow Paws to come in and then take their animals for the day, yeah, get their shots to get spayed, neutered, mm-hmm. and then knew, they knew their animals were going to be in good hands and then come back because of that trust that they had built with you all. Yes, Sydney and, and I met with them and it was a great conversation um, and some really good stuff came out of that conversation. And now... Uh, going further than that, our agency CVCA is now going to be a drop-off point for for um, for feeding pets of the homeless. Yes, for yes. For, for food and uh, um, so you can drop things off here. Yeah. At CVCAA, I know you know one of the fascinating things, and again, just how people kind of connect the dots over at St. Paul at the Oasis, the day shelter. They did not arbitrarily say you can't bring your pets in. They all they said was your pet has to be controlled while it's mm. here and then they saw that next need oh if they're gonna bring their pets we need food they're they don't have food themselves why should we expect that they have food for their pets they've they've you know ha- had success getting some donations as well to feed their animals when we were there just last, a couple of sundays ago checking people in for into the warmth a couple of them came in with a couple of our homeless neighbors came in with pets and they had food ready for them you know they had they'd taken the big bags and kind of subdivided yeah. it down into you know, how many days do you think you need and giving them that much food for not only for the person, but also for the animals. So awesome. It was very cool to see. And it's, again, it's just something that I don't think a lot of people in our community think about. No. They see the dogs roaming and it's that, why, the, why don't they do something about those dogs? Well, there's there's yeah, something you can do about so those many, dogs. There's so many factors. <laughs> yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's, it's neat seeing a young person, you know, we're, we're separated by about 25 years or so, yeah. seeing a young person who is very passionate about making the world better and then acting on it, you know, both through your, your previous AmeriCorps stuff, the things you're doing now, the things you're doing outside of here. Those are all, it's just very, very cool to see as a, as a dad, you know, my, <laughs> my son and my daughter are not, you know, much, uh, my son's about your age, I think, and my daughter's younger than she just started college, but, you know, I hope in them i've you know my wife and i have instilled this idea of giving back to society and i okay. see it in them but you know as a dad watching you you know taking advantage of these opportunities to do americorps because you believe that the world could be a better place not just necessarily america but the world itself could be a yeah. better place and we talk about you know we talk about paying it forward we talk about just impacting the world around you 
you've traveled all over the country to make both yes. different parts of the country better. That's that's and our motto. Yeah. When my fiance and I we we move to new a new state or a new town, um, we say our goal when we move here is to leave this place better than we found it. That's so cool. And that is that's part of our just our family. And so that's how we want to raise our kids. And I think the whole world I mean, I I just think that's a good motto to have. It's changed my perception of the world. I agree. For sure. So cool. And I just want to shout out to my sisters for giving me that strength because like they did teach me how to how to be this kind of like strong person. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Any final thoughts you wanna share yes. any things that we haven't touched on? Um I just wanna say that I am still looking. So we got the food pretty much covered um we can drop off food um if you have donations you can bring them to Concho valley community action agency at 133 west Concho ave yep um look for the heart on the big glass door look for the heart on yep. the big <clears throat> door um and that that includes pet supplies as well like collars and leashes although oh. our primary concern is food right now um but we will take we'll take whatever um, and if you don't want to bring food, you can just give us money. And you can earmark it. This is for pets. That's, that's true. You can and do we that. Can, and then it would go straight to, yes. the, to providing for the homeless pets. Absolutely. And I am still looking for vets um, or clinic workers and dog groomers who might want to participate in navigation days. That's, that's, that's very cool. I didn't, I didn't know that was part of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just... I've been I've been putting out kind of APBs on Facebook, but I haven't yeah. gotten too many bites. Um, but I do think that would be really. It cool. would be so at at Navigation Day, and Sydney talked about this on a previous podcast. We have people there that are giving haircuts. Exactly. And so why not have? Yep. And, and Lost Bronze I've is there. I've been asked about it. Lost Bronze is there giving shots, mm -hmm. you know, and 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 seeing people with their doc with their um, medical facilities. Yep. But yeah, you know, if if there was a vet yep. agency that wanted to come and just do shots be warmer just yep. the basics the basics flea, flea medication boom, boom, um, i'm out. able to do nail trims but i don't have a mobile bath you yeah. know i can't i just can't yeah, <laughs> so that was a be... groomer that was interesting yeah, yeah or if you want to let me borrow your equipment i can do it because <laughs> i i would love to but if you know if you want to just come check it out you don't have to commit to anything but if you want to come it's the last tuesday of every month yes at first presbyterian from 9 a.m to 4 p.m from 9 to 4 yeah. and that is near city hall it's downtown um and you can just come and like say hi and just kind of look around and see what we're doing and just spread the word yeah. so or if you're interested listening to this and interested and you want to call 325-653-2411 and just say i want to talk to chris anthemum about yeah. animal homeless animals or, let's just have yeah. a conversation that would let's be cool talk. that's so cool that's a yeah. neat idea and that that's what's what i love about navigation day is that it started started so small of just these very basic necessities trying to yeah. meet those needs and as we work with our neighbors and they talk about the things that they also need it just keeps growing into these different avenues of of assistance yeah. and yeah if we're if, if you have a pet and you know we have someone that is able to to do the grooming while we're there then heck yeah that would be just yeah. another piece of trying to get someone back into Mm -hmm. uh, some kind of self-sufficiency we do what we can yep. where we are with what we have so yep. whatever you have let's work together and make it happen oh i love that it's so great thanks yeah thanks so much for talking listeners thanks for tuning in and we'll check you next time
CVCAA Unplugged is copyright 2023 and property of Contro Valley Community Action Agency.